This is Financially Covered with Certified Financial Planner, David Chuddick, a podcast for insurance agency owners, their money, and their profit. Welcome to today's episode of Financially Covered. Uh, today we have a treat. Uh, today we're going to talk with our firm's chief investment officer, Greg Towner, about some of the pitfalls of emotional investing and how to avoid making evo- emotional investing decisions. So we hope you enjoy, and here we go. We have uh, Greg Towner with us today. Greg is the chief investment officer for uh, Parallel Financial. So Greg, tell me a little bit about your experience, how long you've been managing money, and and uh, maybe a little bit about, um, uh, I know there's an interesting personal uh, fact with uh, what, your, what your wife does for a living. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks, David, for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, actually, I've been in the business a little over uh, 20 years now, uh, last Five plus of that has been with Parallel Financial. And prior to that, I was with uh, several larger firms, some of the biggest in the industry, actually. Um, so you know, really what brought me to, to Parallel is the ability to do some of the things that we're talking about today around customization to help prevent some of the behavioral, emotional mistakes that, that investors make. Um, you know, Going a little further into the education side, I hold my MBA with a concentration in finance. I hold a chartered financial analyst designation. Uh, chartered market technician designation. Uh, more personally, you said, you know, I, I do a lot of bicycle riding and, and my wife is uh, quite athletic herself. She does uh, circus performing for a living, aerial dancing and, and that sort of thing for a living, teaching it and performing it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my, my background. So depending on how the market's going, sometimes you actually have a, a more hazardous uh, job than she does. But uh, <laughs> luckily in the last uh, year or so, you've, you've um, uh, the markets have been doing, doing really well. Yeah. So you know, for me, you know, money's a tool. Money is just uh, a, a means to an end, but money is a very emotional subject. And so how do emotional decisions, you know, affect your money, the average person's money and their investment decisions? Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of ways. I mean, everything from, from small little things, impulse buys that you make when you're out to, as you go up the scale to, to cars, to, to homes, and obviously investments, what we're going to be mostly talking about today. I mean, really, really any financial transaction that you do, um, if you do it without some sort of process in place, you're prone to making those emotional mistakes. You know, no matter how small it is, no matter how large it is, at the very least, you're talking about the risk of regret. You know, I shouldn't have bought the, that car. I should have bought something more practical or I shouldn't have bought that second home on the coast right before hurricane season. Um, but particularly to what we're talking about in investments, uh, you, you're running the risk of underperformance of, of losing money. You know, so for example, more directly to your question about how it affects the money, you know, we've looked at a lot of studies over the years with average investors, they're, the funds that they invest in, the funds, the ETFs, they actually end up performing worse than the funds themselves. So we're not talking about you know, the funds they choose do worse than if they've been in XYZ fund or, or what have you. The actual funds they're investing in, they, their performance is worse and the funds themselves because they're trying to get in and out all the time. They're, they're, they're allowing some of these emotional mistakes to, to influence what they do. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. You know, I did a financial training class for, for a nonprofit and it wasn't exactly investing, but we talked about tracking money and having a process on kind of what you allow yourself to buy. And over time, eliminating these small mistakes was really important for these participants. And I think on a larger scale, 
um, having some rules for which investments or which securities you are investing in, uh, you know, is, is so, so important. So what are some of the ways that you as a money manager or even that an individual can take away some of those, uh, reduce some of those emotional mistakes potentially? Yeah, there's actually several ways that and I know we do it. Uh, we, we encourage investors and we certainly do it ourselves by following a rules-based system and having a specific plan in place. You know, you're not just going out and buying whatever you heard someone talking about or, or selling because of some headline in the paper, you're actually following a rules-based system. And then really tied in with that is, is having well, give, a- give me an example of, of a rule. So we're not talking specific securities because we're not giving uh, investment advice, but what would make you as a money manager decide to buy stock XYZ for, for whatever reason? It's, yeah. it's certainly not that you own that product, is it? No, not at all. So for example, I mean, we have a specific process in place that includes both fundamental analysis, looking at the, you know, the, the balance sheets of the company and how well they're growing and how healthy they are and the technical side. So each individual investment has to meet specific criteria for us to invest in. We're not going to buy it just because, you know, we heard something interesting about it or, or we happen to use the product or something like that. It always has to meet a specific preset plan and process for it to be considered for us. Okay. And I know that in the uh, update emails that I received from you, there's a very well thought out process to, to when you're changing positions. And, and that would be hard for the average investor to, to maintain that, that sort of a process. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and some of the other ways to reduce some of those potential emotional mistakes, uh, have a risk management plan in place. There's a lot of different ways to go about that. We think it's always important to have a plan set ahead of time rather than when things get bad and now wondering what you should do. Know ahead of time what you will do. Uh, and then something really important that tends to get ignored is, is having patience. You know, if you look at the historical returns over short periods of time, uh, they can vary a lot. Any given year, they can, stocks can go up a lot, they can go down a lot. But as you move out over time, you know, 10 years, if you're looking at a 10-year period, very minimal losses over that period. You're going out much further, 15, 20 years, you're going to have historical type positive return. Almost no periods over 15, 20 years are going to have negative returns. So if you have the patience at a longer term view, and probably the most important thing to avoid investing mistakes, really, David, is avoid the noise. Avoid noise. Avoid watching financial television. Avoid <laughs> watching a lot of this, a lot of this stuff online that is just trying to it's purely there for entertainment. It's trying to grab eyeballs. It's trying to you know scare you into do something or buy something or take your money from you, basically. So really, avoid the noise is what we can tell you. Right, right. Uh, there's a financial author named Bill Backrack, and he he does training for financial advisors, um, business building and marketing, and he calls the noise, he calls it financial porn. And he says that there's so much out there that <clears throat> it, it's kind of like the news if it uh, uh, bad news sells more. So the news channels, when, when they're telling you that the markets are going down, they get more viewership or that the, the recession is coming or, or that the world's coming to an end. So I, I certainly, um, certainly know that. So the average investor um, that's managing their own portfolio, um, you talked about fundamental analysis. Is are there ways for an average investor to, to have, um, you know, adequate uh, opinions on, on individual securities? How much time would that take? Uh, I know we're in the information age, so information can be found by anybody. Uh, how would the average investor, you know, maybe put a rules-based program into place for themselves? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly that, that's the benefit of all that information out there. It's out there. The problem is there's, there's so much of it in trying to refine down uh, what is you know, usable, what is you know, worthy information. So really, it's a matter of finding a, you know, an advisor you trust and believe in, or if you wanted to do some things on yourself, try to narrow down the, the amount of use points and data points that you use, really find the highest quality, and use a methodology or find someone to invest it for you using a methodology that you can believe in. You know, maybe, so for example, right now in recent years, your growth stocks have done really well. If that doesn't fit with you and you're more of a, a dividend, more conservative person, don't force yourself to do something that doesn't fit your philosophy just because it happens to have done well recently. So you're saying to potentially be willing to give away some of the bigger gains because that does not fit your philosophy. That might be a little bit more conservative or, or, or be looking for some dividend income. Yeah, you shouldn't do something just because it's worked for someone else or it's worked recently. And, and you don't necessarily be able to find what process or philosophy works for you immediately. But over time, you want to find out what works for you. You know what you're like with money and with things in general. What type of investment might work with your personality because importantly that will allow you to stick with it over time you know there's always going to be rough periods in any kind of investment process but if you believe in it you're far more apt to stick with it over time rather than getting out at the worst possible time and making an emotional mistake sure that makes sense so talk to me a little bit about risk management and stop losses and such where do you draw the line between as you know let's say a 2008 is is happened um, where do you draw the line between um, locking in a loss and, and getting out and having just a sensible risk management philosophy? Yeah, that's right. As we said, you know, it's important to have a risk management plan in place, and there's different ways to do that. I mean, we're big believers in using trailing stop losses, particularly on our more tactical positions. You know, that doesn't mean we're going to sell every holding in every account and try to time the market. We always want to have some good core holdings in the portfolio. But we do believe in some of those more tactical holdings that you need to have a risk plan in place because none of us know when the next small correction in the market is going to turn into the next major bear market. And that's where you really, your long-term financial plan can really be harmed. So you know, sometimes you'll sell some things and it turns out the market whips back higher. That's what we've seen in recent years. But the most important thing is to have a plan in place where Hey, maybe you get stopped out of some of those positions and your loss is small instead of large and you need to reevaluate at that point what's the proper uh, next position for you. Sure, absolutely. Um, we're going to offer um, a copy of the white paper that you wrote, How to Overcome the Greatest Investment Obstacles. And, and there are some cycles um, on, a, on a chart that talk about all different times where people may not have wanted to invest. And, and if this guy gets elected, I'm not investing. And if this person uh, doesn't get elected, I'm not investing. And, um, but you talk about patience. How does patience uh, also relate to the horizon of the client? So if, um, you know, if you're 70 years old and just retired, is that a time for patience or should we maybe be in the market less or, or what's your just general feeling on, on as people get a little bit older when time's not necessarily on their side? Yeah, the, the patience aspect is really for that money that has the ability to have a long time frame. You know, even if you're someone younger, there, some of your money is, is not always going to be long-term. You may be saving it for a nearer-term purchase, and that should not be invested as aggressively. So when we say patience, uh, it's going to vary per person. Yeah, if, if you're 70 years old, uh, 
perhaps do you need to have far less of that money invested that way? It, but that's not necessarily the case. Maybe you're fortunate enough to have so much money that you're not going to be using a lot of it. And you still want to grow it for your beneficiaries down the line. So it's not just about age. It's about what is the appropriate time frame for each kind of sleeve of money that you have. Some of it might still be wanting to grow for many years, but any shorter term money, that's where you need to really look at what is a more conservative approach. Where I don't have to worry so much about those ups and downs. Sure. And I think that's, you know, where we come back to just being purposeful, purposeful with each sleeve of money that, um, that you discuss. Some of them uh, deserve patience and some of them uh, can't afford any loss at all. So they need to be very conservatively uh, invested. I know <clears throat> back in 2008, I would guess a lot of people lost money during the market crashes and especially older people in retirement. When it came down to it, they were just riding that wave and they probably shouldn't have been in the market that much at that point in their life. And, you know, again, the emotion of, hey, the market's going to keep going up, keep going up. I can't get out. Well, maybe with a good financial advisor plan, they would have been uh, invested less conservatively and would have suffered uh, less losses. Would you agree? Uh, I would. And, and what we often see is, is really one, one kind of a mistake. It's multiplied by more after that. You know, so like, for example, you mentioned the financial crisis. A lot of people, you know, near the lows just couldn't handle the pain anymore. So they, they sold some or even all of their assets out of the market. And then they couldn't bring themselves to get back in as it started to climb for the next you know, 10 years, really. You know, any, any number of excuses, you know, whether it's, well, I can't, it's too expensive now or I sold lower, I can't buy now or the, this is a fake rally because of the Fed or I don't like the politics or what have you. So one, one mistake then often gets compounded by more because of some of these behavioral things that we're talking about. Sure, sure. And that is absolutely true that money is is very, very behavioral um, from the smallest uh, decisions on up uh, on up to the big, big decisions. Now, you and I were talking earlier about uh, uh, some funds that performed well, but the average investor did not perform as well as those funds did. Uh, can you expand on that about the conversation we had before our call? Yeah, that was actually a, a study that we looked at. There's been a number of studies, but one in particular was interesting because it looked at some, some Vanguard ETF funds. So these were the low-cost passive funds. This wasn't what is an ETF? Exchange-traded fund. It's basically like a like a mutual fund, but trades more intraday. And so it's a group of stocks, you know, instead of owning one stock, it, it owns a bunch of different stocks. And so these were looking at, you know, index ETFs, the basic passive funds. And so it wasn't comparing an, an active fund to a passive one or what have you. It's just looking at strictly the passive index ETFs. And the investors did not achieve the returns that those ETFs themselves returned simply because they kept going in and out and trying to time things, or they would get afraid of what was happening, and so they would sell some, or things would go up and they'd get excited and they'd buy more. So they didn't achieve the actual returns within the funds because they couldn't have the patience or the discipline or the rules-based system to stick with it. Absolutely. So we're coming back to the rules-based and the uh, the purposeful uh, purposeful process. So, and that makes uh, makes just a a whole lot of sense there. So um, we're running down to the end of our time together. What other advice do you have for the average person? Now, one of my pieces of advice is I'm a big delegator for anything 
that I'm not an expert in, I like to have an expert handle. So my first piece of advice would be hire a competent money manager. Um, but, you know, if, if someone were not looking to have someone like yourself or, or another money manager, um, you know, how much time or what, what are some simple steps when you talk about maybe a rules-based program, how would they maybe get started in something like that on their own? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot that can be involved in that, and it's really going to be based on each individual investor. But again, it's, it, I would emphasize avoiding the noise. You know, don't, don't choose your investments based on, you know, what you, what you read in one place or what you saw on TV or, or anything along those lines. Um, start a process, developing a process based on what fits your, uh, you know, your style rather than what someone else says that you should do. Okay. Okay. Well, that is good stuff. Um, Again, Greg Towner is the Chief Investment Officer of Parallel Financial. Uh, Greg manages roughly how much, uh, how much money right now? Uh, I think uh, a little over $200 million, I believe. Okay, so that's uh, you know, a week and a half, two weeks paid for me. So uh, I'll let you manage, uh, manage one of my paychecks. But no, and, and for Greg to have the ability to manage that much money, uh, you know, these systems and processes have to be in place in order for him to uh, keep up with his, uh, his fiduciary responsibility with the, uh, with the funds. So, Greg, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your time here. Um, anybody who is interested in a four-page really interesting article that Greg wrote called How to Overcome the Greatest Invested investing obstacle, uh, you can please email me at david at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com. And we'll be able to get that to you and, um, and anything else that, uh, that you need. So Greg, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we uh, sign off? I actually wanted to finish on a quote that I think will tie this all together, David. This is from Benjamin Graham. If you're not familiar with him, he's considered by many to be the the father of value investing. He was actually the mentor to Warren Buffett, which most people have heard of, of course. And Benjamin Graham said, the investor's chief problem and even his worst enemy is likely to be himself. I think that kind of sums up all the the emotional side of things. I think that sums up life in general, (laughs) not uh, not only investing. So sometimes we are our own biggest problems. So I... Appreciate your time, Greg, and uh, love to have you on, uh, you know, maybe on a quarterly or every, every few months to talk about some more uh, interesting investing facts. Look forward to it. Thank you, David. Good deal. Thank you. So we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Greg Towner. If you would like a copy of an interesting white paper that Greg wrote about emotional investing, uh, just send an email to david at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com, and we will get it out to you. And uh, we look forward to next episode. Thank you.